I saw this Get Gotti piece on Netflix, and uh, my buddy Frank O'Hara, he's been a friend of mine for years through Mike Sullivan. He, he's a copy. I think he's an FBI guy, too, but he was uh, one of the folks that tried to get Gotti over the years. So I watched this piece, and Frank is in it quite a bit. A little radical departure from Israel, but there's just so much you can do on that, you know. And this piece is great, and it's part of New York and Americana. It's John Gotti. So here he is, uh, my dear friend Frank O'Hara. Frank, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I know you were NYPD. You were also FBI, yes? I was in the FBI task force. Okay. So let me tell you, uh, and I told you this off the air, but I'm going to say it again for the listeners. So I watched this piece with Danielle, and um, you had a task force, which you were in, a crime task force. You had the FBI. You had the NYPD. By the time you were done, there had to be four or five different groups trying to get Gotti. And I know Gotti did some bad things, and I know he killed the neighbor because he killed his son, Frankie, and I know he was involved in businesses shaking people down. But i got to tell you what I thought. When the piece was all said and done, and I considered all the agencies and money New York wasted on getting Gotti, all I can think of is, oh, my God, what a waste of time and money. I'm sorry. I know you worked hard to get him. But that was my first thought. Are you mad? No. You're wrong, but I'm not mad. How do you know I'm wrong? Because what do you do? Ignore it, Sid? Do you just look the other way? I, I mean, no, you don't look the other I mean, way. You're, but... sitting across, you're sitting across the table from a victim, Curtis. He's a victim now? <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's, he's a victim, yeah, in many ways. By the way, was Curtis in the piece? I don't remember. Was he in the piece? I don't believe he was. He was, okay. He was in... Yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, he got shot six times by the Gaudis, and they were—they are a criminal family. They do some bad things, but come on, there are people on the streets of New York right now that do a heck of a lot worse that don't require nearly that manpower. Well, they do do things that are not nice. They do uh, shake people down, and if they don't cooperate years ago, they would catch a beating. I mean, you open up a business, and it's successful. The next thing you know, you got some guy coming in saying, hey, you got to buy insurance. The guy says, I have insurance. No, you need sky insurance so the sky don't fall on top of your head. Right. I mean, is that right? No, 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 no. Of course no, it's that's not right. Not right. Yeah. And this all comes down from the top. So when they people say, so let me stop you for a second. So when people, when people say, because you hear this all the time, right? So they walk into a strange business that's not mob-related, and they strong-arm them, like you just said. Uh, so when people say that the mob only hurts people in the mob, and they're not hurting people who don't get involved with the mob, what you just said to me spits in the face of that. Correct. It happens. It used to happen day in and day out. Where you have to understand, the, the top wants envelopes full of money. The bottom has to fill the envelopes. They got to go out and be earners, uh, and they earn any way they can: loan sharking, gambling, shaking people down. Uh, they have to fill an envelope full of money. They give it to the capo, who gives it to the boss. It's kicked right up the line. They have to make money any way they can. Frank O'Hara joining me uh, here. So. Gotti was uh, good at it, right? And you go back to uh, when he was the one, the mastermind behind the murder of Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti outside Spark Steakhouse. Uh, 
But I guess uh, the piece goes to tell you that Gotti, even though he thought he'd be better to lead the family, uh, he was very angry, of course, that he was not promoted, very, very angry. But the piece goes to say basically that Gotti felt like if he didn't kill Castellano, Castellano was about to kill him. Is that right? Kill or be killed. So he did a hostile corporate takeover. And the key to the homicide, in my opinion, was Tommy Bellotti. Had he not killed Tommy Bellotti, Tommy would have come at him with both guns blazing. Tommy was a true tough guy. He was a street guy. And he would have taken on Gotti. And he would have been supported by the chin. And it probably cost me 100 hours in overtime. <laughs> Frank O'Hara joining us here. So in the piece, you know, you're part of that organized uh, task force. And then you have the FBI working it, too. But you guys, the task force, were the first to plant the bug in the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club in Ozone Park where Gotti hung out, you know. And um, they have audio, which is really hard to hear, even on the piece on Netflix, where Gotti basically admits that he killed Castellano and all that. And the guys were beating their chest. But, look, as far as I know, and you're closer to this than I was, Frank, all that audio meant nothing. You guys didn't get Gotti until Sammy the Bull turned on him. Is that not true? Yes, Sammy, if anybody can take sole possession of the conviction of John Gotti, it's Sammy Gravano. Sammy did John, and Sammy raised his hand. Nobody flipped him. Sammy flipped himself. Sammy sat there in his cell and said, what am I going to do, the rest of my life in jail, or am I going to join Team America? He chose to join Team America, but he did it on his own, and he had some selfish reasons. He didn't want to spend the rest of his life in jail. He had some money out that was legitimate, that he could spend, and uh, he decided to have his wife contact the FBI, and the rest is history. Weren't you surprised that he went against, put the, the biggest crime boss in years in prison? Not only is he still alive, but he does reality television. He, like Henry Hill used to do, you know, he would be on the Howard Stern show and walk around, and he didn't care. So all these guys that turn on the mob and the biggest members of the mob, they seem to survive. Are you surprised? Not today. Uh, They're afraid of three things. They're afraid of rats, DNA, and cameras. Cameras are all over the place. Rats, case in point, Joe Messina, boss of the uh, Bonanno crime family. Uh, He turned. He testified. He testified against people that he told to go kill somebody. So imagine you're sitting there as a defendant and a guy up on the witness stand who told you to go kill Joe Schmo is testifying against you. What's wrong with that picture? Mm. You know, I think the first time I saw you in the piece, you were sitting in an unmarked car, maybe even on the FDR drive. And for folks that don't know what the daily operations were like, when you guys, your organized task force, and the FBI were kind of button heads and getting John Gotti in the early days, but after he killed Castellano, what were your days like? What were you guys doing for the most part? Well, our hours mirrored John's. You know, John was a, pretty much a creature of habit. You know, he would leave his house around 1030 in the morning. Uh, He'd get picked up by somebody. He'd drive to his – he didn't go into the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. He had actually a storefront right next door that he used as an office. He sometimes would stop at OTB and lose some money. Uh, Then he would go to his office on 101st Avenue. Uh, He had a guy that would go get him coffee, orange juice, go to the dry cleaners. Uh, He had a barber's chair in the back room. The barber came every day, did his hair, and shaved him every day. Every day. He, every day. 
And then he would get dressed, and uh, around 1 o'clock he'd start moving around the city and usually end up at the uh, Ravenite on Mulberry Street. But he did do meetings uh, at his office, outside his office, uh, you know, a couple days a week. And one night a week, I believe it was Wednesday night, everybody would come see John, a lot of made guys. That was uh, the, the night if you wanted to see John, you came to Ozone Park on 101st Avenue. They had they cooked in the Bergen Hunt and Fish. Everybody ate. And then he played cards till 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, the, the piece does show what a degenerate gambler he was. In fact, he even said a couple times on tape, a bad day is not getting whacked. A bad day is losing three parlays on the same Sunday afternoon. So that was clear. And then I guess I guess we're or early on where he really started to lose Castellano before he became the boss was that he had no issue with his guys dealing drugs, and Castellano wanted no part of that. Is that true? True. He, uh, Castellano kept asking, I want to hear the tapes from Angelo Ruggiero's living room. I want to hear the tapes. And on those tapes, you had his brother Gene and Angelo, his best friend, discussing drug dealing, and they were both convicted at trial. I'm sorry, Gene was convicted at trial. Angelo got sick. Uh, I think a reasonable person, if they listen to the tapes, would think his best friend, his brother in the drug business, they're in his crew, he's their captain. Uh, when they get a, give him an envelope of money, I guess he doesn't ask any questions, but he knows what's going on. He's not stupid. He knew they were dealing drugs. 